Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. Checking in about food allergies and introducing allergenic foods. And have you done peanut with your baby yet? Well, intact nuts and thick globs of nut butters like peanut butter are choking hazards for babies, but we want to get that peanut protein into your baby early and often in order to help lower the risk of peanut allergy down the road. My absolute favorite way to introduce peanuts for babies is using the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs. So When you hear puffs, like you're probably like, oh, those starchy little puff things. Like, no, no, no. Not the little ones that earlier eaters can't pick up. Those kind of crappy puffs from the store that have added sugar and refined grains and lots of salt. Uh uh. The Puffworks baby peanut puffs have no added sugar. They have just a smidge of sodium for preservatives, and they are the perfect size for baby led weaning. They're about the size of your adult pinky finger. So, you can, baby can pick them up, self-feed them, but they're so soft that they dissolve in your baby's mouth so you can introduce these peanut puffs even before your baby has teeth. Puffworks also makes a baby almond puff for the safe introduction of a separate allergenic food category. That's tree nuts. And now, finally, Puffworks put out a combo case. So it's half baby peanut and half baby almond. So if you want to grab one case, then you can knock out two new allergenic foods. We do these on different days, though. These are just the no-stress, low-mess way to get peanut and tree nut out of the way. So you can get 15% off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's BLWPOD. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way. To me, the main core bit is not necessarily around the spoons or the purees. It's about the baby being in charge and the baby being fed responsively however they are being fed. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. Hey guys, welcome back. So I know you're here because you're interested in baby-led weaning and you're, okay, this alternative to traditional spoon feeding stuff sounds plausible, sounds feasible, looks cool when babies are feeding themselves. Sounds nice not to have to short order cook for my baby or force feed them purees, but does it actually work? Like, is there any real research or evidence behind baby led weaning? Well, in today's episode, I am bringing you Dr. Amy Brown. She's one of the most prolific researchers. She's published numerous articles, tons of research about baby led weaning, and she is here to tell you all about the evidence behind baby led weaning. So this episode is for those of you who maybe you're dealing with a skeptical pediatrician, or maybe you've got a partner who's really heavy into research, or you yourself just want to know more about the research and the evidence base that supports a baby led approach to feeding. Well, Dr. Brown is your gal. 
She is a psychologist by training, interestingly enough, but she has a wide array of experience in parenthood. So baby feeding, baby behavior, infant feeding, mental health, but she's published widely across all of those areas with a big focus in baby-led weaning. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, the research and the evidence that is behind this alternative to traditional spoon feeding. Dr. Brown is also the author of a book called Why Starting Solids Matters. She's got a number of different publications exploring the safety and the efficacy of this baby-led approach to feeding. I'm going to link to everything she talked about in today's episode because it's one of those ones where like if you're in your car or you're on a walk or you're feeding your baby, you're going to be like, wait a minute, I want to read that article. I want to read that article. My pediatrician needs to see that one. Whoa, I want to follow up on that study. It's all going to be linked in the show notes for today's episode. I'm also going to link out to Dr. Brown's new website where she's got all of her research organized. So all you research nerds out there, or if you're just interested in learning more about the research, whether or not you consider yourself a nerd, I think you're going to absolutely love this interview with Dr. Amy Brown. So with no further ado, let's get started talking about the evidence behind baby led weaning with Amy Brown. All right. Well, hello, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I am so excited to talk to you about research behind baby led weaning. Thank you for having me. Now, could you tell us just a little bit about your background? I'm very familiar with your work as someone who works exclusively in baby-led weaning, but for other parents and caregivers who might not know about your work yet, tell us how you came to be interested in pursuing all the different areas of parenting that you conduct research in, but especially baby-led weaning. Okay, so I'm actually a psychologist by background. I wanted to do a PhD, always been interested in eating behavior, so stuff around why we end up eating in the way that we do or the kind of different social and cultural influences. I wanted to do something with older children and was interested in adult eating behavior, particularly disordered eating. But then I had my own babies and had all those different experiences you have with them. So, you know, breastfeeding them or giving them formula and introducing them to solids. And when I had Uh, my first baby, I started coming across this idea of baby led weaning. So the concept as something different was actually quite new back then. This would have been oh late 2006, early 2007. And I got really interested in it. There were lots of different forums you could go on at the time. The baby led weaning book didn't come out until a little bit after that. But as a researcher, I was just really interested in trying to look at what the evidence behind this was, because there were so many parents now following it. And I went to the literature and went, oh, there is actually nothing here. Let's fix that. So we started at the beginning, completely at the beginning, just kind of documenting what parents were doing and why they were doing it. And since then, we've been looking at follow-up data and all sorts of things around the experience and what it might lead to and why parents choose it and the problems they have. So a lot of times, at least in my experience, parents worry that baby led weaning, when they first hear about it, they say, oh, it sounds interesting, but that's just, that's a fad or that's a trend. It's some, you know, woo-woo parenting technique. And I always try to counteract that by pointing out that there is this research coming out, a lot of it done by you and your group. And a number of studies have been published in the past that do support an infant's ability and desire to safely self-feed. So I was curious, do you have tips for parents and our listeners who are worried that maybe baby-led weaning is just a passing trend or a fad? I mean, I think I'd say two things to that. And that's a really common thing that people say to me. And I think 
we just kind of have to go back a little bit in history. You know, when we were kind of evolving, the baby food industry didn't evolve alongside us. We didn't have a baby food industry of pureed specialised foods until about 1930. And if you kind of look into the history of that. I think it was sort of the UK and the US at kind of similar points in the 1930s. They developed the ability to be able to can and store food for a longer life. And they were doing that with vegetables for adults. So they, you know, they were they were canning carrots. And some kind of bright people had this idea that if you could do that in kind of big jars, then why couldn't you do it in smaller jars and have specific foods for babies? I mean, it was a bit more complicated than that, but that's the kind of history of it. And it was the idea that from then on, you then have this idea of special baby foods that you give to babies. And of course, there's a big market and an industry behind it. And as soon as you start making money out of something, it becomes more and more and more. If you go back to even 10, 20 years before that, this concept of specialised baby food was just non-existent. If you kind of look at weaning records, most babies were probably just given family foods when they were around nine, ten months of age. I mean, some of it might have been mashed down a bit, but this concept of a special pureed food that you give your baby was non-existent until we learnt how to make money out of the idea. So I think a lot of people, you know, if you say to them that this is a new idea of baby-led weaning, they look at you like you've, you've gone crazy because it's just what we did for generations before. And I'm sure most people, when they have, you know, by the time you get to about your third baby... Um, this idea of weaning routines and special foods and schedules and things like that goes out the window and they just get what they're lucky to have, essentially. You know, they get thrown a little bit of food. So it's not some new thing. The other kind of other side of that is that there is no evidence base to show that spoon feeding and pureed special baby foods are a safe or a good thing. They literally came about when industry back in the 30s created them. Nobody did tests or demanded research or demanded evidence that this was a good thing. Yet we come kind of full circle and they're giving our babies family foods again. And we're suddenly told, oh, well, you need to provide evidence for that. And you need to prove that's safe and you need to prove that babies eat enough, even though the spoon and baby food industry never had to do the same thing. So it's one of the reasons we ended up doing the research is because every time we talked to, like, say, the Department of Health here in the UK and said, OK, we need some recommendations around baby led weaning. They come back and say, well, what's the evidence? What's the evidence that it's safe? What's the evidence that it's beneficial? So it, it's kind of that we've kind of got stuck in the way. But I think we need to think back and actually think about where those ideas are kind of coming from, that it might not be safe or it might not be beneficial because, If parents start moving towards just giving their baby family foods and not paying money, the market around baby foods wouldn't do so well. So I think we kind of need to think about where that idea comes from. And it's certainly not that it's not safe or good for babies. It's just what we always used to do for generations. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma. 
what? Therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. I love that approach. When someone says baby led weaning is a fad or a trend, we might respond with actually commercial baby food is a fad or a trend and has been around for a significantly less period of time than feeding your child modified versions of the same foods the rest of the family eats. So that's a good marketing technique. You got to sometimes fight fire with fire when it comes to marketing. So I know in the United States, at least, we have a lot of pediatricians in our audience and many pediatricians who are educating themselves about baby led weaning and looking into the research, yours included. But the reality is, as a professor of nutrition myself here in the U.S., more than 90% of physicians in our country have never taken a dedicated nutrition course. So parents will sometimes say things to me like, oh, my pediatrician doesn't believe in baby led weaning. And I always then recommend your review article. It's called Baby Led Weaning, The Evidence to Date. And I say to parents who maybe aren't familiar with this publication, take this, find this, here's the link, go to your doctor and talk about this. So I was curious, for those of us who maybe haven't read the whole review article, could you briefly summarize where we're at regarding the evidence behind baby lead weaning here in 2020? Oh, yeah. So there's new stuff coming out every day. And I mean, I think we wrote that article, I think it's 2017. And we've done quite a bit since. So sort of the, the main kind of areas that have been backed up by research, and obviously we need further research still. A big one is around the choking risk that often comes up. Oh, you can't give babies whole foods, they'll choke. Looking at kind of evidence from across a number of studies now, that's basically been shown not to be true. There is no increased risk of giving a baby finger foods to eat compared to giving them a puree, as long as the foods are appropriate, so they're not kind of nuts or things you shouldn't really give a baby anyway, or things like very hard, uncooked carrot sticks or hard uncooked apple slices things that can break off in the baby's mouth babies are skilled to be able to eat if we're looking at introducing solids after around six months then babies have the physiological skills to be able to pick things up and and chew them so obviously you can't do any kind of randomized trial around choking you can't you know try and get babies to choke and see what happens so it has to come from sort of observational data from the research that is happening. But there's probably about four or five papers now that show that it's just not an additional choking risk. And there's, there's no reason why it would be any more than it is an adult uh, choking. So that's the, the choking side of things. Um, in terms of weight, uh, there's been a few studies now looking at the impact of baby led weaning versus spoon feeding on baby's weight. And some of them show that when babies are baby led weaned, they're more likely to be a healthy weight. So there are two studies, main studies I can think of there, that show that on average, the baby who feeds themselves is less likely to be overweight than the spoon fed baby. And it makes a lot of sense because it's all to do with responsive feeding. And it's all about those babies stopping when they're full. So 
if they're feeding themselves, once they're full, they can just stop eating. If you're spoon feeding a baby, the baby might, you know, they might take a few extra bites if you keep kind of encouraging them to eat a little bit more. And that over time could lead to additional weight. The other thing I think with the weight is that when a baby is self-feeding sort of what I call real foods rather than pureed special baby foods, it's going to be a slower process. So by the time they pick it up and they put it in their mouth and they chew it, they've given their body time to respond. So we know with adults, don't we? If the adults who eat more slowly are more likely to be a healthy weight compared to those who rush their meals because they don't get that signal that they're full so quickly. So those studies there, but the, the two, the two studies I'm thinking about are observational. They're about parents who have chosen to either spoon feed or baby led wean. There has been a trial going on in New Zealand for quite a few years um, looking at parents who are randomized to follow a traditional weaning approach versus a baby led weaning approach. They didn't find any differences in weight between the two groups at 12 months or 24 months. It just didn't have any impact on weight. My main thoughts about that study, and people will probably hear me talk about this quite a lot, is actually how suitable randomized controlled trials are when it comes to feeding babies things, because it's such a complex subject. And we know from a kind of medical perspective, we like a trial, don't we? We say it's the gold standard of data. And perhaps if you've got a medication and you want to randomize whether someone has one dose or another dose, then that's a fairly straightforward behavior. All you have to do is get people to take their dose. We know that that can be problematic in itself. But when it comes to randomizing stuff like breastfeeding or randomizing how a baby is introduced to solid foods, you start hitting all sorts of problems because families aren't that simple. They aren't that straightforward. They're affected by lots of different things. So as with many of the trials that try to look at early infant feeding, though that study in New Zealand didn't have a situation where everybody in the baby led weaning group did baby led weaning and everybody in the traditional group ended up doing traditional weaning, you had crossover. So my question is always, well, what exactly are we measuring there? And it's, you know, it's, it's a limitation to me. Well-designed study, but as always, people are people. So that can affect the results. Just one more study on, on that is actually a recent publication from one of my PhD students, Sarah Jones. What she looked at is um, she weighed and measured a lot of babies for her PhD. And then she looked at their, their weight outcomes at around 12 months. And she didn't just look at whether they were spoon fed or baby led weaned. She also looked at the interaction with how they were given their milk feeds. So she looked at whether they were breastfed or whether they were formula fed. And because in the UK, we don't have many babies who are exclusively bottle fed express milk. We tend to have two main groups. They're breastfed directly or they're bottle fed most of the time. And what she found there is that when babies were baby led weaned, how they were milk fed didn't seem to impact upon their weight. So the babies who were baby led weaned and formula fed were a similar weight to the babies who were baby led weaned and breastfed. But when babies were spoon fed, if they were also bottle fed, they were more likely to be a heavier weight than all the other three groups. And one of the reasons we think this is happening is that because when you're spoon fed and you're bottle fed, you have very little opportunity to 
be fully in control of how much milk and food you're taking in. So it all comes back to this idea of responsive feeding again. So it's maybe something we want to pick up on, on another question, but it, it's, it's just kind of thinking about how baby led weaning can in, really encourage responsive feeding and put babies in control of their own appetite. And that's so important because we're taught, especially when you're learning how to breastfeed, is that obviously beyond the nutrition benefits, bonding, et cetera, your baby is engaged in responsive feeding. And I always think it's so ironic when at six months of age, we just flip a switch with traditional spoon feeding and throw that right out the window where now the baby's no longer in control. Me, the parent or caregiver, I will arbitrarily choose this amount of spoon-fed puree that I will then essentially force feed the baby. And I love that the concept of responsive feeding is becoming so much more in the forefront. Like it's a term that, yes, researchers have used for so long, but parents are starting to learn about. And even here in the U.S., I was just helping to edit a very well-established introduction to nutrition textbook. It's in its 16th edition. We all use it. And it finally is the first edition where they use the term responsive feeding when they're mentioning feeding babies. Even though it's all over the breastfeeding stuff, we sometimes forget about it in that second six months of life. And as you point out, it really is so important. So what I actually wanted to ask too is, I know so much of the data is evolving and it's dynamic and it's oftentimes based on self-reported intake. And and there are challenges to designing those studies. But I think it's important for parents to hear as well that there are no definitive studies that show that baby led weaning increases choking risk or leads to growth faltering or babies can't meet their nutrients. Like, Would you say that that statement is fair for the parents who say, oh, my doctor says I can't do it because the baby will choke, they won't get enough iron, and then they also won't get enough nutrition? There's no data to support those statements. Am I correct? There, there is no data to support that. Um, another one of my PhD students has a paper under review at the moment. So her PhD has actually been looking at nutrient intake amongst spoon-fed and baby-led babies. She has looked at various different types of ways of measuring that. So food frequency questionnaires, you know, how often does your baby have this, which we know is really more of a measure of exposure rather than intake. So those studies don't accurately measure how much the baby has actually eaten, just whether they've been offered it. She did another study looking at 24-hour diet diary. And again, that really does kind of look at exposure, really, rather than how much the baby is having. But certainly the babies in her study, the ones who were baby led weaned, were being exposed to more things like different sources of protein and different um, vegetables. They had a much higher exposure rate there and there were no difference in exposure rates for things like iron rich foods. Her paper now, um, she has, it's a fairly small sample, but that's quite usual with this type of research. She had asked parents to complete a three-day weighted food diary. So what that meant is that parents actually kept a diary of everything their baby actually ate. So it involved taking a pair of small kitchen scales around with them and literally weighing everything before they gave it to their baby and then trying to work out how much you know the baby had actually eaten none of it. So we had these poor parents you know, scraping food off a bib and picking up food off the floor. So she has a really accurate idea of intake. And again, we're pretty much finding that babies are eating very similar amounts dependent on whether they're um, spoon-fed or baby-led weaned. We find that your average baby-led weaned baby is eating less than your average spoon-fed baby, but that's actually a good thing because babies aren't meant to be eating huge amounts of food. I mean, I think how much your baby eats is a really big concern for new parents, but the idea that they should be eating loads is completely incorrect. 
I mean, the World Health Organization recommends around 200 calories a day from solid foods for babies at, you know, six to eight months old. It's a tiny amount if you split it over three meals or, you know, several small bits over the day. So she has found that babies who are baby led weaned are eating closer to that amount, whereas babies who are spoon fed are eating much more than that on average. I mean, there's obviously variation between babies. And it's so important to, to point that out to parents because especially I'm a dietitian and I have a lot of dietitians in my community and they get so hung up on the quantity or the portion or the calories or the milligrams. And the point is your baby is learning how to eat. And so we want to focus on giving the baby the opportunity to learn how to eat instead of focusing on how much the baby is eating. And so I understand the importance of doing the research to measure the milligrams, but the idea of like scraping the food out of the baby's hair to measure it, to prove that they're eating enough, it it is during a period when they should be given the grace to learn how to eat, knowing that breast milk and or formula still provides most of their nutrition. Would you agree? Absolutely. It's it's a learning experience. It's about moving from that process of milk feeds to family foods when they're older. It's about tastes and textures and playing with it and all of that. And we've really lost sight of that, I think, and under the kind of pressure to get food into your baby. And I, I think a lot of it comes from industry in pushing anxiety and products onto parents. And of course, baby led weaning is really against that. So it's always going to be kind of fighting an uphill battle. And again, this idea that we even need to prove that these babies are eating enough when nobody has come along and said, right, we need to check that spoon fed babies are having the right nutrients. There isn't that data. There's such little data on what babies are actually eating. So the idea we have to prove it is is quite crazy. I mean, her data, again, in terms of nutrient intake, she didn't find very many differences between baby led and spoon fed babies at all for macro or micronutrients. One of the things she did find is that most babies were quite low on iron intake. Again, suggesting you know, the idea that uh, babies should perhaps be having backup vitamin drops, that baby-led weaned babies were eating too little iron. It was that most babies weren't perhaps getting the nutrients that they maybe should. So it, it should be a focus on nutrient-rich food for all babies. But I can really see how under the kind of wrong kind of person wanting to be against baby led weaning you could take that finding in isolation and go oh baby led wean babies aren't having enough iron when actually it's something that modern parents struggle with quite a bit I think in terms of that transition. And the critics do the same when it comes to weight oh well you don't have any studies that show that baby led weaning prevents obesity however we do have lots of studies that show that babies who start with a baby led approach are not necessarily going to have growth faltering. Like they have the capability to feed themselves adequate amounts of food that in conjunction with formula and or breast milk would allow them to thrive and grow and have those experiences where they continue to learn how to eat so they can then get more of their nutrition from the food. So I love the research that you do, but I do respect what you're saying, which is it's ridiculous that we even have to do this in the first place because for generations, Babies have learned how to eat without the input associated with the entire world of commercial baby food. But for the parents who don't have the time or the effort or perhaps even the desire to read all of the peer review published articles and the review articles and the world that you work in, I know that you've also written a fabulous book, one of my favorite books called Why Starting Solids Matters. And I was curious if you could just tell us a little bit about the book. What was your impetus for writing it? And then also where we can get it, because it is on my most recommended reading list for parents who want to learn about starting solids safely with baby led weaning. 
it's not a how to introduce solid food books. You won't find a single recipe or portion size suggestion in Thank there. you, thank you, thank you for that. There's plenty of that out there. We need to know why this even matters. It's more about the evidence behind why we do what we do when it comes to introducing solids and what really matters. So it talks a bit about what I've already said around the history of how we've got to where we are now with, you know, supermarkets with a huge array of, you know, so many products that they're they're pushing on parents, all the anxieties parents have and all the tricks. I mean, people seem to know a lot more about perhaps the tricks of the baby milk industry of how they try to sell products. But there's a lot of trickery that's going on around um, baby foods as well and trying to get parents to buy different things. So it looks a lot at that around advertising and labelling of baby foods. I mean, your laws might be very slightly different in the US, but here, certainly the way foods are labelled in terms of their title can be very misleading in terms of their content. So you actually only have to have quite a low, really low percentage of a food in your baby food to be able to have that name in the title. So, you know, you can call it a chicken dinner and it's actually got a very low proportion of chicken in it. But parents are misled by it. And it is certainly the same here. You have to have like almost an advanced degree in order to truly decipher a food label. And it's it's mostly marketing and a commercial on the front of the package. And I think a lot of parents don't recognize that. And a lot of kind of the new kind of tendency for superfoods and things like that. So we have things like baby foods are labeled as kale or... Oh, but it's really just green applesauce? (laughs) With a tiny little bit of kale in it. And there is, I can't remember what brand of baby food it is now, probably best not to mention it. Of course. (laughs) They have the same food that they sell in the UK and in the US. So it's exactly the same product. But it's called a different thing in the US compared to the UK in terms of the order of the name, because they did market research and found that parents in the US like this food best and parents in the UK like this food best. Besides baby led weaning, what other type of podcasts do you like to listen to? Well, if you're into true crime and you also dig traveling, I want to tell you about a new podcast you are going to love. The new podcast is called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that all take place on vacation. So the show is hosted by a true crime fanatic and her comedy writer husband, and he has a TV producing partner. So Slaycation brings a totally unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, what the heck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong from the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, their two recently engaged lovebirds, whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended up underwater. Every episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that will intrigue you. I think you're going to love the discussion between the longtime married couple and the business partners. They also happen to be an Emmy-nominated TV producer's Every episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that are going to keep your next family vacation from becoming your last. So if you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Can I ask if you have, do you guys have the shelf stable yogurt products for babies, which always just knocks my socks off. Like if it were actually yogurt, it would require refrigeration. And yet here it is sitting on the shelves for months on end. And you think it's yogurt. Like it's almost laughable sometimes how far removed from food all of the baby food is. And I tell parents, you can totally avoid that entire aisle at the store and your baby will be perfectly fine. And I think sometimes they actually like that. It's almost a relief and you kind of see them just, oh, wow. So I don't have to spend all my time and money trying to figure this stuff out. Nope. You could bypass that entire aisle because your baby can learn to eat real food. And the we're like, we've got a big push on baby healthy snacks, supposedly at the moment that are supposedly vegetable stick crisps. And you know, they're vegetables and they're high in fiber. And you look at them, and you go, no, they're crisps. It's potato starch and salt. And all it will do is prevent your baby from eating food at the actual meal. So snacks are great if you'd like to sabotage their intake one hour later when you're trying to get them to eat dinner. <laughs> so it, lo- it looks at things like that, about whether you need to buy, you know, these specific foods. It looks at the idea of why we, the evidence suggests introducing solids at around six months and not earlier. It looks at recommendations around amount. It looks at, you know, stuff behind fussy eating and how to try and Um, what we know about that and how we can try and reduce that. Uh, It looks at all the myths as well. You know, the, you know, if you give your baby solids, they'll sleep longer. Oh, your baby's looking at your food. They want it. No, no, none of this is true. And you have a very eloquent way of undoing some of those myths because sometimes I just, the one about the one teaspoon of baby cereal in your baby's bottle is going to make them sleep through the night is like, do you know how many calories are in an actual teaspoon of baby cereal? Or even the same with pouches, all the times we encounter parents who say, we didn't eat very much at the meal, so I'm going to finish the meal off with a pouch just so I know he gets something. I said, turn that pouch over. There's 32 calories in that pouch. On what planet do you think that's going to keep your baby full? That's not the point here. We need our babies to have, again, the opportunity to learn how to eat. I honestly think, Amy, your next book, at least for U.S. parents, should be, you know, you have what why starting solids matters, but it's why the drinks you offer your baby matters. Because we have a whole situation, and I assume it's somewhere in the U.K., but with toddler milks and the very aggressive marketing of toddler milks, and then these transition formulas that start at nine months. Well, I mean, we should be focusing on transitioning our baby to cow's milk at 12 months, not a whole other subset of formulas that can be very, very confusing to parents. Do you guys have the same issue with toddler milks or transition formulas there in the UK? Yeah, they're called follow-on formulas here. So they're from six months So we have obviously different advertising laws here around advertising infant milks at all. So by law, we are not allowed to advertise first stage infant formula that is suitable for babies from 0 to 12 months, because you're not allowed to advertise any product that is aimed at replacing breast milk for babies under six months old. So for us, our kind of follow-on milks that are supposedly suitable from six to 12 months are basically a way to partially get around that law because you are allowed to advertise follow-on milks and then you can pick up that market from six months. So even though parents are told that first stage infant formula is all your baby needs up to 12 months old and then you can move on to cow's milk, the advertising messages and regulations, um, the messages that the, the industry use start creeping in from six months. And of course, parents then switch to it because they use all these different slogans. This one will make your baby sleep. You know, this one has got added made up ingredient in it that has no evidence behind it and all of that. 
And all of the immunity messaging now on top of everything is further confusing to parents. Yeah, and they, they, their brand recognition then means that it basically serves as an advert for their first stage milk because even though their packaging should be different, it very rarely is that different. So we've just done research showing that a lot of parents misinterpret the follow-on milk adverts for actually first stage baby milk and they think it's being advertised anyway. And also they are believing the statements from the follow-on advertising. So quite interestingly, when, when we say to them, you know, are you affected by advertising? They all go, oh no, absolutely not affected. And we say, well, someone must be, or they wouldn't be doing it. It wouldn't be the fastest growing segment of the formula industry. So then they say, oh, well, yeah, I give this one to my baby because it's the most scientific. It's the one that's got the most research behind it. Or this is the one that helps my baby sleep. Or this is the one that my baby needs because they're particularly hungry. So the messaging is getting through. And it's just, you know, industry should not be anywhere near infant diet. It's too important to be misinterpreted or downright lies around the impact of different milks on babies when it's not evidence-based. That's nothing against the actual formula if parents need or choose to use it, but it's around the tactics of the industry that are trying to sell it to them. And I don't know if you have this issue. Um, We have an entire range of first stage infant formulas that are very hugely in price. So you can get a supermarket own brand one, which is around £4 for roughly 800 grams, or you can go to the more expensive ones that are closer to £16. So there's there's a huge difference in cost for something that will last a baby maybe a week, when actually the content has been shown to be pretty much identical. If there were any added ingredients found by research to have a real impact on babies, then by law here, they'd have to be added to every first stage infant formula. So they're not different, but they're hugely different in price. And that's the advertising. It's parents will buy the one that has been shown to be appealing to them based on whether they want the scientific one or the one with the happy baby on the front. And at the end of the day, it's nonfat milk powder with some corn syrup in it with added sugars that children should be minimizing anyway. I think parents don't even recognize all the different, at least in the United States, there's so many different ingredients that can potentially represent added sugars. I mean, the last place we want to be getting it from is milk. So I was curious, too, just regarding the sentiment in the UK versus the US. Like in the United States, I do a fair amount of work. I'm in California with the California WIC Association. So that's the special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children. And they've always espoused a traditional spoon feeding approach. But in the last few years, they speak at our annual convention, and we're slowly talking about, we call it a baby-led approach to feeding. They don't love the term baby-led weaning. That's fine. We can turn it around. But increasingly, even our bigger government agencies are starting to adopt this as, wait a minute, this is certainly something that's a follow-on to all of the responsive feeding techniques that we teach for breastfeeding. And they are becoming more open to talking about it, incorporating it. I just, you helped me, which was fabulous on a presentation I just did for all of our healthcare professionals in California that was all about the evidence behind it. Because of course, it does need to be evidence-based, but we also need to acknowledge that babies do have the ability and the desire to feed themselves starting at around six months of age. So I was curious in the UK, is there what is the sentiment about baby-led weaning or a baby-led approach to feeding or responsive feeding, whatever you may call it, as, as far as you're concerned? Um, I think, again, we're kind of stuck because they don't deem it to have enough evidence to be able to actively promote it to parents. So 
In terms of baby-led feeding, they see that as being baby-led weaning. We end up in a situation where because there is no official guidance, that health professionals don't give consistent messaging, or they might tell parents not to do it, which we know doesn't work for anything, does it? I mean, we've, we've finally kind of recognised around safe sleep guidance that parents need advice around how to, you know, safely bed share with their baby if that's what they're going to do. Telling them to do it doesn't stop them from doing it. It's better to be safe. And the same happens with introducing solids. If you don't give parents good advice around what they want to do, they'll do it without that advice or they'll hide it from you. So it seems a sort of backwards way of thinking to me. Um, We do have a big emphasis on responsive feeding, but the only official evidence is really around spoon feeding. It is kind of baby-led weaning and things like that are kind of creeping in. There's more kind of mention of them, I would say, compared to 10 years ago. But in terms of actual guidelines about how to do baby-led weaning, then no. But saying that, our official guidelines are to start giving your baby solid foods at around six months and to do a mixture of finger foods and pureed or mashed foods. So one of the questions we have is, you know, at what point is baby led weaning baby led weaning? Can you only do baby led weaning if you never spoon feed your baby? What is baby led weaning actually about? Is it actually to do with the spoons and the purees or is it to do with the responsive feeding and the baby being in control? So to me, the main core bit is not necessarily around the spoons or the purees. It's about the baby being in charge and the baby being fed responsively, however they are being fed. And also the other kind of stuff around it. So the things like them having finger foods to play with and touch and learn about and it being gradual and things about them sitting around the family meal table and having a bit of what everybody else is eating and joining in that social learning experience. To me, it's those things that are really the most important things, not whether a baby occasionally has a puree or is spoon fed because you know you've just cleaned them all year round your the grandmother's house has got white carpets and white sofas and you don't want food everywhere you know or you want to give them some yogurt and you don't want it all over your walls to me it's it's about the way of thinking the mindset behind your baby being in charge and trusting your baby and letting them being in control of things and it being a learning social experience rather than necessarily the spoons and the purees That's so wonderfully put. Like as a researcher, you have to focus on the milligrams and the micrograms and the ounces and the portions. But in real life, we all want our babies to learn how to be in control of and to listen to and respond to their own hunger and fullness cues. And in reality, baby led weaning does allow them to do that. So thank you again for sharing all of the research that you and your PhD students and your group is doing. For our audience who would like to learn more about your work, Amy, where can they go to learn more? Um, I've actually got a brand new website that has got all of, well, it's nearly got all of my research on it. I started adding all of my research papers one at a time and then realized I'd published over 100 and this might take some time. So it's a, it's a work in progress, but there's everything on there. So it's professoramybrown.co.uk. Nice and simple. All right. Professoramybrown.co.uk. And you guys, I will go ahead and link up all of the papers that Dr. Brown has published with regards to baby led weaning, because we are huge fans of your work and have like all of them, um, because we're citing them regularly to talk to parents, especially when we're talking to healthcare professionals that, yes, this is a real and there is a real emerging body of evidence to support 
this alternative to traditional spoon feeding. All of the resources that Amy mentioned will be in the show notes for this podcast episode. And you guys can find that at blwpodcast.com. And I'll link to Dr. Brown's site as well, where you can go to learn more about her research. So Amy, thank you again for being here. This was such a fabulous conversation and so useful for our audience to hear. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed Okay, wow, that was amazing. So much valuable information right from the researcher's mouth. It was, I think it's so amazing when you actually, through the beauty of the internet, get to talk to the people who are doing the research in the field for the people that are like out there every day feeding those babies. So you guys are listening directly to Dr. Brown through this podcast. So cool. I'm a huge fan of her work, not only her research. I loved how she basically said it's kind of ridiculous that we even have to be doing this research. And I feel her like, We don't talk about milligrams and micrograms, and I don't want you guys to stress about exactly how much your baby is eating, but like the part where her research team is literally scraping food off of baby's bibs to weigh it and measure it, they're doing that for you, okay? They're doing that for your pediatricians who might be doubtful about a baby's ability to self-feed. It is important research to be doing, but I hope you also got that underlying message from Dr. Brown, which was the way our babies learn how to eat is so important. So yes, we need to have the research to address the fact that this is a safe approach, that this will meet baby's needs. But remember what she was saying, that the whole entire commercial baby food industry is less than a century old, if you think about it, and that the majority of the things in the baby food aisle, actually all of them, you could do without, okay? Your baby can learn to get a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. And there is that real incredible body of research behind it to back it up. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Amy Brown, all about the evidence behind baby led weaning. If you want to grab any of the links to the research articles, the references, her book, her website, I'm going to link it all up on the show notes for this page, which is at blwpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Bye guys. Bye guys. 